Last week in the book of Ruth, we looked at chapter 1. And in chapter 1, the hand of God falls very hard upon Naomi and her family. A famine in the land of Judah, a move to Moab, a foreign country, the death of her husband, the marriage of her sons to foreign women, the death of her sons. Blow after blow after blow come against Naomi. She says in verse 13, The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In fact, Naomi is so oppressed by the hand of God against her that she can't see any rays coming through the clouds, even though there are some. She knows that there is a God. She knows that God is almighty. She knows that the hand of God has been against her. But what she forgets is that God, in all of the bitter providence of his children, is plotting for their glory. And if we could just believe that, if we could remember that in our own lives, we would not be as blind as Naomi seemed to be and unable to see when grace begins to reveal itself. There was sweet providence in chapter 1 as well as bitter providence. Who was it that took away the famine in Judah and opened the door for Naomi to return? Who was it that bound Ruth to Naomi closer than a husband? Who was it that kept Boaz so that there would be a relative, in spite of Naomi's forgetting it, to marry Ruth and continue the line? But Naomi couldn't see any of this, and so at the end of the chapter, she says, verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, that is, pleasant or sweet, when the Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so at the end of chapter 1, Ruth and Naomi take up residence in Bethlehem at the end or at the beginning of barley harvest. And in chapter 2, the rays of divine grace that have already begun to break through these clouds are going to become so large that Naomi, before this chapter is over, is going to see them and rejoice in them. Let's read the chapter together. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set forth and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose maiden is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, 
It is the Moabite maiden who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Pray, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my maidens. Let your eyes be upon the field which they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to molest you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me when I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord recompense you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, You are most gracious to me, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not one of your maidservants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her parched grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And she showed her mother-in-law what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my servants till they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is well, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens, lest in another field you be molested. So she kept close to the maidens of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. In verses 1 through 7, we meet Boaz, and we see the character of Ruth, and we sense a merciful providence behind all of this. Look at Boaz. The first thing we learn about Boaz is that he is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's long-deceased husband. Now, if you were reading this book for the first time, this would crack through like a big opening of dark clouds. 
because Naomi had given the impression in chapter 1, there's no point in you coming back here. There's nobody for you to marry, to raise up offspring to your husband and to my husband. It's hopeless. You're going to be a widow and childless all your life. And the first thing that happens when they get back is that a man emerges named Boaz, who is a close kin of Elimelech and could fulfill that responsibility of a kinsman redeemer, as they were called. And the crack in the cloud is going to get wider and wider. For example, he is said to be a man of wealth. Moreover, and far more important, he is said to be a man of God. At least that's what I think verse 4 is written to tell us. Why would the storyteller, out of all the possible things that he could write, tell us how Boaz greeted his servants? He says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, in verse 4, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. I think the reason he took the trouble to insert that little observation is to show us one kind of a man we've got here. If you wanted to know something about the relationship of of a businessman and his God, you do not look at what he does on Sunday. You go with him on Monday morning and see how he greets his office staff. You ask how far down God has penetrated into the details of his everyday work life. And so if you want to get a glimpse at the character and the God relationship of Boaz, you just look at the incidentals. The Lord be with you. With you, Boaz. And you catch on to what makes this man tick. He was a man of God. He was saturated with the Lord. And we're going to discover as we move on through this chapter that was not a pious platitude. It will become evident as we move on. Not only do we meet Boaz, but we also meet the character of Ruth in a new way. Three things about Ruth. First, she takes initiative to fulfill the commitment that she had made to Naomi. Naomi, a destitute widow in a foreign land, Ruth binds herself to her, promises never to leave her, goes back to a foreign land with her, and does not, notice in verse 2, wait for Naomi to say, now get out there and make some money. Instead, Ruth takes the initiative and says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Second, Ruth is a very humble woman. She knows how to take initiative without being presumptuous or assuming. Look at verse 7. The way the servants of Boaz report how Ruth came on in the morning. She said, pray, which is a Hebrew idiom for please. Pray, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She does not demand a handout. She does not demand to be hired. She does not presume the right even to glean. All she wants is the leftovers, and she doesn't even assume she has a right to pick them up. She asks permission from the servants to pick them up. She is very much like another woman who came to Jesus and said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs 
eat the crumbs under the table of the children. And Jesus said, all right, that is great faith. And I think he would say the same thing to Ruth. She knows how to take initiative, but is not pushy or presumptuous. She is meek and humble, even before the servant workers, not to mention Boaz. Third, she is a woman of amazing industry. Verse 7 continues. She has continued from early morning, they say, until now, it's about lunchtime, without resting, even for a moment. And if you drop down to verse 17, we find out what she did for the rest of the day. It says she worked until evening, and when she'd quit working in the field, she beat out the grain, and when she'd beat out the grain, she measured it, and when she'd measured it, she carried it home, and when she'd carried it home, she gave it to Naomi. Sun up to sundown, she was a worker. A woman of initiative, a woman of humility, and a woman of great industry. And there's no doubt that this writer wants us to admire this woman and emulate this woman. And keep your eyes open because we're going to see these virtues again and they're going to be very significant in her relationship to God as well as Boaz. There's a third thing in these first seven verses that we don't want to miss. I called it a a sense of of merciful providence. Look at verse 3. So she set forth and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She happened to come? Really? Well, you don't have to write your theology in every line, do you? You can leave a question unanswered when you're writing a story and expect that the reader will fill it in if he's been catching on. And we've been catching on. We know what the answer is here. Naomi is the one who's going to give the answer in verse 20. She didn't just happen to come to this field It was the kindness of God who was bringing together Boaz and Ruth. God is sovereign and God is gracious even when he is totally silent. As the proverb says, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directed the steps of Ruth to this field. Now let's look at verses 8 and 9 just briefly. Boaz approaches Ruth. He shows her a great kindness, even though she's a foreigner. He gives her what she needs for food. He says, you don't need to go anywhere else to do your gleaning. Do it right here in my field. He gives her protection. He says, I've told these young men, hands off, you're safe. And I've given you, he says, All you want to drink. You don't even have to draw it. Just go and ask the men and they'll give you to drink what they've drawn. So Boaz's wealth and Boaz's godliness is now turning for the welfare of Ruth. And we see great things on the horizon. And now we come to verses 10 through 13, which I think are the most important verses in the chapter. And so we'll focus the rest of our time there. Ruth asks a question to Boaz. 
And it's a question that turns out to be of immense theological importance. It's a question that you should ask God, and the answer you get back, or the answer you think you get back, is one of the most important things in your life. It says in verse 10, She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me when I'm a foreigner? Ruth knows that she is a Moabite woman. She knows that there are two, at least two strikes against a foreign woman. And she doesn't resent it. She accepts it. And she does not expect any special treatment at all. Her response when Boaz treats her with kindness is astonishment. She is very different from most people around today. She expresses a great sense of unworthiness. She falls on her face in the field. She bows to the ground. Remember that sermon I preached last fall? Proud people don't say thanks. That's true. But humble people, when they are shown mercy and grace, are made more humble. Haven't you had that experience? I have. I've been living through the day, and all of a sudden, some immense... Mercy comes upon me. And I've been crabby all day long. And the effect that it has is to humble me. The grace of God is not given to us to lift us up out of our lowliness. It's to keep us lowly and happy in God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. She asked this question. Why, Boaz? Why are you treating me with such kindness? I'm astonished. At your kindness. Most people today are astonished just the other way around. They're astonished when they're mistreated. And they consider it a matter of course if they're treated with with kindness. Because arrogance and pride is the name of the game in American contemporary mindset. Look out for number one. Assertiveness. And Ruth knows none of that. Let's read verses 11 and 12. They're very important. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord recompense you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now notice, when Boaz, or when Ruth asks Boaz why she is receiving grace from him, Boaz does not answer, grace has no conditions. He says, because you love Naomi so much you were willing to leave your mother and father. Now, that raises a question for us. Very important 
theological question that has a lot to do with the way you live and relate to God. Should we, does the writer of this book want us to understand Naomi's leaving Moab, loving Naomi, coming to Israel as a work by which she earned Boaz's favor and God's favor through Boaz? I don't think so, and I, and I think there are clues right here in these verses to show that that's not the way the writer wants us to think about Ruth's virtue. If Ruth had earned this benefit from Boaz and from God, we would have to think of her somewhat in the category of an employee working for Boaz or for God as an employer And since she has done something valuable enough to them, they are indebted to give her a fair wage. That's what works means. That's what earning your reward from God means. But this writer gives us a clue in verse 12. He does not want us to think about their relationship in those categories. I think Boaz shifts over to God as the benefactor in verse 12 because he wants her to know that everything that's coming through him and his wealth and his godliness is coming really from God. So he says to her, the Lord recompense you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, there's a new picture here in verse 12. This is not the picture of employee-employer. Good labor, good wage. That's not the image. The image is of a big eagle and a little eaglet flying to take refuge under the eagle's wings. And I think the intention of verse 12 is that the answer to the question Why God is going to reward Ruth so highly is that Ruth has come to take refuge under his wings. And he loves to reward people who take refuge under his wings. Not people who try to work for him and give him values that he is then supposed to recompense with appropriate wages. This is a very common and wonderful gospel truth throughout the whole Old Testament. Psalm 57 makes it very explicit. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge. Now, the most important word in that verse is the word for or because. Did you notice Be merciful to me, God, because I have taken refuge in you. Why should Boaz or God through Boaz be merciful to Ruth? Answer, because she has sought refuge in his wings or under his wings. She has counted God's protection greater protection than all others. She has set her heart upon what God can give rather than what her mother or father could have given back in Moab. So if you come to God pleading God's value as the 
satisfaction and source of your hope and your joy, instead of pleading your value as the satisfaction of God's hope and the meeting of God's need, then God's unwavering commitment to his own value will engage all his heart to do you good. Now, let me say that again, because that's a perhaps a complex thought, but it's the heart of my theology, and I think it's the heart of these verses and the whole Bible, and I want our church to be built upon it. So here it is again. If you come to God pleading His value as the source of your need or the fulfillment of your need, what you need from Him, as your hope and your joy, instead of coming to him pleading your value. Here, I've got something for you to meet your need, to fill your deficiency. Then God's unwavering commitment to his glory and to his name and to his value, which is his highest priority, according to Scripture, that commitment will engage all his heart on your behalf because you have said to him, your value is what I care about. Your value is what I need. So if God ever asks you on the judgment day, and he's going to do this, why should I bless you? I told you on July 11th or July 8th what the answer is. This is what you should say to him. You should say, Because I took refuge under your wings. And that's all. Because that exalts him as an eagle who doesn't need you, whose glory is manifested in his all-sufficiency for you. All he wants to hear on the judgment day is, I needed you and I chose you above all the satisfactions that were offered me in the world. I didn't stay at home with mom and dad in Moab. I took all the risks and went to Palestine. I loved her. I served her. All because I enjoyed being under your wings. We need to ask probably what the relationship is between Ruth's being under the wings of God and Ruth's leaving her father and mother and loving Naomi. Because it was the latter that Boaz said was the reason she was receiving reward. And I think the suggestion that's most likely would be this. Ruth discovered a refuge and a joy and a protection and a fulfillment under the wings of God that was vastly superior than the joy and fulfillment and refuge she could have at home in Moab with mom and dad. And therefore, she was free. In fact, she was motivated to move under the eagle's wings wherever the eagle moved. And the eagle began to move over Naomi in mercy. Naomi was destitute. She had no one. Ruth was under the wings of the eagle. She wanted to stay there. That's all she wants in life, is to stay under the wings of God. And when God moves in love toward a needy person, you move if you love being under the wings of God. 
And she moved and she bound herself to Naomi and went with Naomi wherever God led her. And I've been thinking about this. It just occurred to me while I was preaching this morning the first time that I, I preached last night right here in a wedding. And I used another illustration of uh, abiding in God. Jesus said, abide in my love. And I used the illustration of a skating rink. And the Olympic skaters now you're going to watch probably. And the light going around the spotlight. Only the difference is that the spotlight is the love of Christ and it doesn't follow anybody. It leads. And the skater skates in the light. It's the same thing now it occurred to me that I'm saying this morning. I didn't even plan it this way. That that this eagle is like wings under which God invites us all to take refuge. But it is not static. That eagle is moving. And if you want a life of joy and fulfillment, you stay under the wings of God. And when you sense God moving in love towards a destitute widow, you go with God. Because you know that there's the place of joy in service to that widow. There's the place where God is going to flow through you with power to meet the needs he wants met in the world. So the relationship between taking refuge under the wings of God and leaving home to serve and love a destitute widow is that... Two ways of saying it. The position under the wings of God is the enablement of the love and the freedom. Or to put it another way, the love and the freedom is a result from and an evidence of how much resources you are drawing from the great eagle under whose wings you are abiding. So now back to Ruth's question. Verse 10, why have I found favor? The answer is because you've taken refuge under the wings of God and have found such freedom and such love that it's manifesting itself in your commitment to Naomi. She has not earned Boaz favor. She has not worked like an employee for God, her employer. Instead, she has glorified them by saying, I need your work. I need the leftovers from your industry. That's what we say to God. I just want the leftovers from your grace. That would satisfy me for an eternity. I know you don't need me, but oh, how I need you. And that's the message of the gospel, Old Testament and New Testament. God's message and invitation to every one of you this morning is not come and provide labor for me, but come and let me work for you. Take refuge under my wings. If you're a Palestinian or if you're an Israeli or if you're American, I will work for you if you will take refuge under my wings and prefer me over all the treasures of the world. Jesus said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. All the Pharisees had to do was become little chicks and come under the wings of God. And they wouldn't do it. They wanted to work, justify themselves, Rely upon themselves. 
glorify themselves. It's just too humiliating to become a little chick and walk under the wings of Jesus. And that's what keeps everybody from coming to Jesus. At root, every hindrance from believing the gospel is pride. Not wanting to humble yourself, become little chicks, and depend on Jesus for everything. And so I plead with you this morning to forsake that and join Ruth under the wings of God. I'm going to let Naomi have the last word here because I've given her a hard time in the past two weeks. And that's because I didn't have to go through what she went through. But she's going to shine before we're done. Naomi is waiting. Ruth works the rest of the day. She measures out the grain. She takes it home. And this beautiful little touch, she gives the rest of her lunch to Naomi. That is just beautiful. And then she gives all the grain. And Naomi says, Blessed is the man in whose eyes you found favor. Who was it? And Ruth says, It was Boaz. And you, I wish I could have seen the look on Naomi's face. I had forgotten about Boaz. And then in verse 20, she says these wonderful words, which are owing to the same theology that had brought her into despair earlier. Namely, her confidence that it was God who had brought the famine. It was God who had taken her husband. It was God who had taken her sons. That same theology is going to rescue her here because when she hears that Ruth just happened onto the field of Boaz, she says, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. To whom do you give glory, Ruth? That you happened onto the field of the kinsman of Elimelech? God was directing your steps. And now Naomi is delighting in his kindness. She sees it. The clouds have parted wide enough so that even Naomi, with all the tragedy of her life, can recognize that God is for her. He is not against her. And there are great things on the horizon. So my admonition, my plea to you and to myself this morning is to be like Ruth. To be like Ruth, to know that God is good. To be like Ruth and come under the wings of God. To fall on our face. To bow before the Lord. And to be astonished at grace, not at hell. Hell is to be assumed. Grace is astonishing. And so let's sing it together. Amazing Grace, hymn number 107. And I hope that all of us reaffirm and feel the wonder of grace in our lives from the Lord. Shall we stand as we sing? And now the grace of our Father, the amazing grace of our Father, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the meekness and the humility of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forever. 
And all the people of God who are depending on grace said, Amen.